do what you love. If you want to be a garbage man or a garbage collector, or you want to be a CPA, or you want to be an entrepreneur, or you want to be a landscaper, make sure you love it and make sure you try and be the best you can at it. Because if you do what you love, it isn't work. You know, people will call us workaholics, but I promise we're not workaholics. We're just selfish. We're doing what we love. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today I will be joined for the second of a two-part series with prominent business leader and philanthropist Saville Kellner. Born in Cape Town, South Africa, and immigrating to the United States, Saville founded Lake Industries, a multi-million dollar international manufacturing and distribution network, JLS Financial, a consumer finance company, and Revenue Media Group, a Nevada-based marketing company. During the last episode, we talked about how he built his companies and lessons he's learned during almost four decades of entrepreneurship. Today, we discuss how his entrepreneurial mindset motivated him to take action while the rest of the world was on pause. He was able to create an entrepreneurial opportunity for his company and also help out U.S. healthcare workers during the early weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. He also shares how this same entrepreneurial mindset has helped him not only live well, but also thrive with a rare life-threatening disease. I am delighted to welcome Saville back to the show. You mentioned the pandemic and, you know, we're several weeks into the social distancing and isolating, and there's been a lot of issues associated, international or global issues, and a lot of issues with China. Of course, a lot of things are coming out now, and there was some stockpiling of items that we're now finding out about. And I read a really interesting article that you posted about how your company was able to source personal protective equipment while the rest of the country was, I think you entitled it, on pause. It's a really incredible story of what I read of working around a perfect storm problem by applying an entrepreneurial mindset, recognizing a need, taking action, leveraging relationships, perseverance. Can you share that story with our listeners? Sure. Perfect storm, lightning in a bottle is what I call it. So again, I found that being an entrepreneur or a businessman, even though I'm talking a lot right now in this podcast, listening is the greatest thing in the world. A friend taught me once, God gave you two ears and one mouth. And right. I actually, I aspire to that. And so I have a autoimmune disease called scleroderma and we don't have to get into that, but I'm fortunate enough. And I got, again, I got lucky that I'm very well connected with doctors and I travel to certain hospitals quarterly on the East Coast. I don't want to mention their name because, and you'll understand why now. And these doctors were actually kind enough to call me about five, maybe six weeks ago and said, you have to quarantine immediately because your lung capacity is down to 70% because of the scleroderma, which is kind of like fibrosis. And also you have no immune system because of the drugs we have you on. So just go hide away. And we've raised money for these doctors, a lot of money for the study of scleroderma. And so they're, they're very kind to me. And I said, how bad is this thing? And they said, this is going to be pretty bad. And they actually 
said to me, you know, we can't put it in writing, but we're predicting New York's going to be a disaster. Michigan's going to be a disaster. New Orleans going to be a disaster, like Donald Trump disaster. But they said, all of these are going to be, they're going to be tough. And I said, so what are people going to need? And they said, PPEs. They said, we're not ready for PPEs. So I said, wow. And they said, if you can get us some PPEs, that would be great because we know you have connections, you know, over in China and in, in South Korea. So I said, okay. So I reached out to some of our cookware dealers, knowing that our cookware and our housewares business is going to slow down. And we have a couple of employees over there that do our quality control. I said, can you get us PPEs? And they said, what kind of PPEs? I said, I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys use over there? And they said, well, masks are the big one. And there are two kind of masks you want, the N95 or the Chinese European version of it known as the KN95. And who knew that you would know what I'm talking about when I'm saying N95 right, and N95. Right, we all know now. And then those disposable masks, the blue ones that we all know. And I said, can you get me some of those? And they said, we think so. And I said, what do you mean we think so? They said, well, it's very difficult to get it out of the country. And I said, what are you talking about? They said, you know, it's difficult. So they said, what we're going to do is we're going to go to different factories that make these and we're going to send them to you by DHL because that was the best first option. They said, we don't recommend you take a 20-foot container or 40-foot container and fill it up with these because what's going to happen is it's going to be noticed by the Chinese government on the one end, or the American government on the other end, and, and you know, more important people than you, Savile, actually want these masks. So we're going to ship you lots of little boxes, give us the names of all your employees, and we're going to ship to everybody's home, and they can bring it into the office. Wow. And, and so they started shipping us. The beautiful thing is a mask, which you, I know we're, we're on Zoom to everybody else there, and, and you're listening by podcast. But a mask, if you look at a mask, it's really small. So they spoke to me in cookware languages, and they said, if you take that disposable mask, you can put like 1,500 of those disposable blue masks in a cookware box. So we just can. And I went, wow, well, we send it to 20 different employees. We can get 30,000 masks a day. And I love the idea for your business students out there, because again, being conservative, I wanted to spread my risk. And I wasn't sure if we would get it out of China and we'd get it into America. So to get 30,000 masks, they were going to 20 different addresses. And it was amazing how my connections over there mobilized. In China specifically, everybody has smaller cars and they would send me these great pictures of them going to a factory, picking up the goods and them sitting in the driver's seat all squished and just boxes of masks all around them. And that's how we started bringing them in. So we would get, you know, employees going, we got masks. And I, I turned to the employees and I said, look, we have to furlough some people, but I don't want to furlough everybody. So may I use your address? Can we do this? And we weren't doing anything illegal. You know, we were just importing and trying to fly below the radar. So we started bringing in masks like crazy. And people got word of this. Hospitals got word of this. Again, I don't want to mention, but the disposable blue mask that everybody talks about, you know, we're shipping 80,000 in an order of these. And all of a sudden, and this sounds crazy, April's going to be the biggest month we've had years as a company, Lake Industries. So what we did is we started bringing masks in like absolute crazy. We were ahead of the curve with everybody. And now came the decision. The tough decision is, what do you price it at? Because whatever you do, people are going to think you're gouging and people are going to think you're an opportunist. Mm -hmm. And what people don't understand, and again, for a lot of your business students, it's not just the cost of the mask. 
It's the cost of the air freight, which in the last month has quadrupled. It's the cost of loss mitigation because we didn't know how many shipments were going to get confiscated. It was the cost of duty and everything else. So we try to price our masks fairly. And again, I knew we were damned if we do and we were damned if we don't in the sense that people were going to say, oh, you're price gouging. And so we started off by selling a KN95 mask for $5.95, which by the way, you could buy an N95 mask pre-pandemic for like two or three bucks and a KN95 for like $2 and the disposable mask for 95 cents with the promise that anytime we could lower prices and air freight goes down, that we'll lower the prices. And this has just happened. As a matter of fact, we're doing a big announcement that we got in a couple of hundred thousand masks at a discounted price. So we're going to lower them. We're still going to make a profit. I'm an entrepreneur. And again, not an egregious profit, enough profit to keep the building open, the lights on, and to keep bringing in more masks or more as need be. So we were probably way ahead of the curve in terms of bringing masks by about two weeks. And then now everybody's starting to catch up. So now we just made a decision, which you are, you know, a business genius over there. And I'd love your input on this. Everybody and their mother has masks. We still probably have a couple of million dollars of masks coming in. And I said to my team, stop. You know, we definitely want to be the first out simply because we don't want to be sitting with millions of dollars of masks at the end. And we're not a medical supply company, and nor do we claim to be. But, you know, the question you ask is, how did you get this done so quickly? And it's all relationships. And I think you probably teach that, but I don't know if it's emphasized enough in school. And the one phrase that I live by is people buy from people more than they buy from companies. People really do buy from people. And, you know, we had tons of relationship friends over there that we bought from for years, for 25 years plus, 30 years even, who were just so kind to us, both in South Korea and in China, that just said, hey, whatever you need, we'll take care of you. And so protective of us saying, don't ship in a 20-foot container. You can only ship 100 kilograms a day. You can only do this and this and that. So, yeah, we got lucky with the PPE. It's really helped us keep our company going, some employees earning overtime, some other employees coming back from furlough. So it's been good. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're one of the fortunate ones, but you made that fortune happen. So, you know, one of the things we've been talking about a lot, I write a blog that goes along with this this podcast and, you know, I've been talking a lot about the opportunities that come out of crisis. And Often these are when some of the greatest opportunities occur. We've got a local manufacturer that's actually started manufacturing face masks. And it wasn't anything related at all to what he did before, but he saw that opportunity and stepped in and was able to turn his sewing team onto that. They were making canopies for mobility devices prior to this. Uh So, you know, it's again, part of the entrepreneurial mindset. You mentioned that you have a condition called scleroderma. And I read that you got involved as a philanthropist with this prior to even knowing that you had this condition. It's something that was quite honestly new to me. Do you mind to talk a little bit about what this is and why you got involved and how it all transpired? Sure, sure. So the odds of me getting involved in it and actually 
contracting the disease, I think the odds are better that I win every single state lottery in the United States of America. It's, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I was involved in the radio business, actually, with the people at Clear Channel, that's now iHeartMedia, a business partner and a good friend of mine is one of their top morning talk show hosts in LA. And anyway, there was an opportunity to put some chefs on a radio show, and I reached out to two chefs known as the Two Hot Tamales, Susan Fenniga and Mary Sue Millican, who've become dear, dear friends. And we got them involved on, in KFI Radio in, in Los Angeles, which is just an unbelievable radio station. I became friends with Susan. Susan and Mary Sue, but Susan and I are particularly close. And Susan, best friend in college, Sharon Monsky, died of this awful, awful disease known as scleroderma. And it's an autoimmune disease. It's the deadliest autoimmune disease. The best way to describe it in layman's terms is you can have two kinds. You can have limited scleroderma, and it's the hardening of your skin, basically. And then you can have diffused or systemic scleroderma, which is the hardening of your internal organs. So Susan came to me and said, hey, do you want to donate to this? And do you want to donate to the event? And do you want to donate things for auction? Do you want to buy a table? And I said, of course, I will. You're a good friend. So I started going to the events and thought nothing of it. And about three or four years after going on to these different events, I was a soccer player and I started just running out of breath. It was crazy. And I went, well, I'm getting old much faster than I anticipated. And this is not a good thing. And then when I'd walk up a flight of stairs, I was out of breath. And I also noticed that my hands would never straighten out. And I said, well, I'm on the computer a lot. It must be carpal tunnel. It must be this. It must be, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not quite sure what it is. And I went to doctor after doctor in California. And nobody had any idea. So I moved to Las Vegas at the time in 2011 and my wife who was my girlfriend at the time said look we got to get you set up with a doctor with a GP and I, I walked into the GP's office and met this GP a lovely lady a younger doctor and I say that for a reason because I love the way the younger generation worked now she pulled out an iPad and everything else I was like oh, this is kind of cool and she took one look at my hands which weren't straight and she said I think you have scleroderma. And I went, you've got to be crazy. So she sent me to a rheumatologist. And rheumatologists are the ones that try, and I use the word try, to treat scleroderma patients, but they don't have much knowledge of it. So I went to the rheumatologist, and I walked into the rheumatologist's office. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life, other than Googling scleroderma and looking at the side effects yeah, that's always uh, dangerous. Know. Oh, my God, it's the worst thing in the world. So anyway, I walked in there and there were people with missing digits or fingers and, and everything else because that can happen. And she said, you definitely have scleroderma. But the good news is I think it is limited scleroderma. So I said, great. So I called up Susan Feniger, my friend and celebrity chef who lost her best friend to this. And I said, Susan, you're not going to believe this. And Susan is one of these great woman entrepreneurs who owns a lot of restaurants and has one of the greatest poker faces. She's a hugger, but she's not a crier. And she's a strong, strong, strong woman. And I said, I think I have scleroderma. And she just broke down crying on the phone because he has another friend. And she said, we've got to get you over 
to Johns Hopkins Hospital and to go see Professor Wigley. So next day, Katie, my wife and I are on a plane over to Johns Hopkins and I'm in full panic mode now because I understand the severity of the disease. I really do. And walk in to the scleroderma center, which in my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion is the premier scleroderma center in the world. And these people knew me because I was already donating. So again, talk about being a lucky guy and a blessed person. So I walked in there and they put me in a room and a doctor, a doctor at the time, Dr. Jejana McMahon, who was kind of a fellow for Professor Wigley, who is the master of scleroderma doctors. She looked at me and, and, you know, she said, well, you have scleroderma, but I think it's limited scleroderma. Well, that's good news. Lose a couple of fingers, not the end of the world. And then Professor Wigley walked in and he looked at me and he said, could you take your shirt off? And I said, of course. So I took my shirt off and he said, you have systemic or diffuse scleroderma because your chest from the hardness is, is silvering. And that's one of the first signs. And actually I looked in the corner at Dr. McMahon, who's now Professor McMahon, and she was devastated because she thought I had limited scleroderma mm-hmm. and she kind of, you know, and I was just like, I remember looking at her and saying, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and it is okay. It's okay in the sense that they put me on a cocktail of drugs and the normal prognosis is if you had a few scleroderma at my age, it's normally five years. I've been eight years now, and that's why I'm such a happy fellow. My wife, who is just into health and fitness and everything else, immediately made me go vegan, immediately made me run a half marathon. And if you look up a book of world-famous Jewish athletes, it's the shortest book in the world. And all of a sudden, here I am as a non-athlete running a half marathon, and I'm still on the drugs today. So it's basically an overproduction of collagen, and that's what hardens everything. I've lost almost 30%, 30% of my lung capacity, but we've halted it there. I honestly believe that it's the doctors, it's a good attitude, it's a combination of the three. It's a good attitude, it's the doctors, and it's your eating habits and your healthy habits. I mean, I can't stress enough to people and I'm not one of these guys. Listen, if nobody's looking, I'm going to eat a cupcake and shovel it down before you notice and even wipe off the remnants. I'm so <laughs> professional. But if you can generally eat healthy and exercise a little, you know, you don't have to have a six pack. I've never had a six pack. I'm never going to have a six pack. But just walk a little. And the more I read about what's going on in the pandemic now, they say, you know, people who exercise a little more and have this lung capacity and everything else you know, have better odds of surviving, you know, being positive for coronavirus, being tested positive for coronavirus. So immediately I come back and immediately I become the spokesperson, basically, and a board member for the Scrotoma Research Foundation because I have a story to tell. And, you know, the story was that I thought I understood what the patients went through and I kept thinking I understood and I talk about, I, I listened to patients and I thought I understood. And now that I experienced it, I thought I understood. So I was on the board of the Scroderma Research Foundation for about four or five years. And then there were some philosophical differences. My belief is, and the Scroderma Research Foundation is wonderful. They want to find a cure for this disease. They want to find a cure. Susan's still very involved. Bob Saget's involved and became friends with Bob. Bob's sister Gay died of this disease. And that's why he's involved. 
and they're just a great organization. My philosophy is we also want to take care of the caregivers and we want to take care of the people and give them a better quality of life while we're trying to find a cure. So funnily enough, I was scheduled pre-pandemic, and I guess everybody says pre-pandemic right now, in March 2021, not confirmed, but scheduled to partner with Johns Hopkins to do an event in Las Vegas to raise money for this. And obviously that's going to be delayed right now because I want some of that money to go for a cure, of course, and I want to give money back to Johns Hopkins even more than we were giving before to find the cure. But at the same time, I really want to help the people who are living with this disease and the caregivers because, you know, again, I am fine. I am blessed. I can walk. I can jog. I can run. I can, I'm capable. But people can't even brush their teeth because they can't close their hands because their hands are frozen. Basically, your body turns into cement. It's an awful, awful disease. But again, karma is a wonderful thing in the right circumstances. Because I cared about Susan and I helped out, again, I was privileged enough to get the best doctor in the world looking at me 24 hours and putting me on this cocktail of immune suppressant drugs and and steroids, you know, prednisone, everybody knows what prednisone is, and different drugs for your esophagus because your esophagus hardens and you can't swallow and things like that. So again, I mean, I was blessed. The coolest thing that happened to me with this is Not that I didn't have meaning in life. I mean, I I love life. Fortunately or unfortunately, work generally defines me. A lot of people don't admit that, you know, but work defines me. I mean, this pandemic has been awful because I'm away from my baby. But it did allow me to really help people in their lives. And because of my attitude, most new scared scleroderma patients that need to talk to somebody who can say things to them that a doctor can't say to them, a lot of them are referred to me. So I'll probably speak to one or two a month right now, make absolute fun of myself, make fun of them, and try and get their attitude. I think attitude is so big. To the entrepreneurs out there, attitude's a big deal. If you believe you can't do it, you're not going to do it. If you believe you can do it. No, you've heard this and you've heard the, you know, the secret success and all that, but you do. You need, to, you need to have a great attitude. So that's the scleroderma story. By the way, scleroderma is predominantly found in women and in African-American. So, of course, I blame, Susan, and I blame Susan Fanega for giving me this disease, and I hope she has this podcast because it is entirely her fault. I always tell Dr. Wigley or Professor Wigley, the greatest professor of all time, that he hasn't figured it out that this disease has to be contagious because, I mean, I probably wouldn't have it if I was involved. How else can can you explain, right? Exactly. exactly. What what a great story, Savile, and a fabulous testimony to be able to be grateful and find gratitude in all of life is a wonderful gift. And so thank you for sharing that with us and your entire story. I have loved this conversation. I could continue to talk for forever with you. You know, it's been a delight and you're a remarkable person and you've got a remarkable story. And I know that it's going to inspire many, many students and many entrepreneurs. Before we leave this conversation, I'd like to ask you if you had one piece of advice to give to our listeners and you've already given so much, but if you have one piece of advice to leave with our listeners, what would that be? You've probably all heard this before, but now you're going to hear it from somebody different and I'm not your normal entrepreneur. And remember, I didn't have the privilege of finishing university. 
And I was a terrible student in school, and now all I want to do is learn. And by the way, I know that most of your students are not millennials. They're Gen... What are they, Zs? Yeah, I think that's... What I'm not even saying. sure what they're... Yeah, but, they've, got you know, a new, they've got a new... Yeah, name, James, you know, the millennials got a bad rap from us older people. And I must tell you, we have another company called Revenue Media Group. And I learned from the millennials every single day. I really do. I'm older for your listeners. I'm 58 years old. And you've heard this probably from many entrepreneurs. But please do what you love. It is as simple as that. And I know you can't see Rebecca on this podcast, but she is nodding her head up and down. And she's a doctor and she's a genius at this. So the fact that I said, do what you love, and she agrees with me is fantastic. Please do what you love. Even if it takes a little longer for you to figure it out, do what you love. If you want to be a garbage man or a garbage collector, or you want to be a CPA, or you want to be an entrepreneur, or you want to be a landscaper, make sure you love it and make sure you try and be the best you can at it. Because if you do what you love, it isn't work. You know, people will call us workaholics, but I promise we're not workaholics. We're just selfish. We're doing what we love. I love that. And that's great advice. And you're right. I was nodding because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. We only have this a limited amount of time to live. So we, we should love every minute of it. Savile, how can our listeners connect with you? I think the easiest way is they can email me if that's okay. And it's Savile, S-A-V-I-L-L-E at lakeindustries.com. And Lake Industries is I-E-S at the end. So it's Savile at lakeindustries.com. And just drop me an email and I'd love to learn from them. I'd love to come and crash your classes at some point in time because I've got so much learning to do and I'm running out of time. So if you see a creepy old guy sitting in your class, it's probably me. You are welcome anytime. Thank Thanks. you, Savile.